You know, one of the uh, big dilemmas of Christmas Day, uh, a dilemma which some of you may have already experienced today, is it's this. What do you do if you receive a gift that you don't really want? Now, I know that's a first world problem, but what do you do if you receive a gift that you don't want? How do you react? Uh, how, do you, how do you answer honestly if your giver really presses you to see if you like the gift? What do you say? And, you know, this must be a really, a real big dilemma for many people because if you write into Google uh, what to say when you receive a bad gift, there are countless uh, guides, uh, some even with um, pictures, uh, to, to show you how to react in the best way. And I'll just, I'll tell you some of the tips they give because uh, you might find it helpful today. Um, now, most suggestions are along the lines of saying, um, don't say, thank you, what a wonderful gift, because that might not be true, but instead say, what a thoughtful gift, or uh, here's one, what a unique gift. Uh, or another way to answer is to look for something positive in the um, gift itself. So let's say that the socks, they're the worst socks you've ever seen in your life, but you can say to the, the um, giver, thank you, they will be perfect in winter, uh, when you can't see them. Uh, and then, then there's other suggestions which are um, not re recommended, but I'll just I'll warn you against these ones. Um, you can say how wonderful the gift is because now you've got something that you can rewrap and uh, give to your estranged uncle later on in the day. Anyway, we won't do that. But the reason I start with this topic is because, uh, do you know that's how some people respond to the gift that God has given? Uh, what's the gift that God has given? Uh, we're told here in verse 6, it says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so that's the gift that God has given the world. He's given his only son. And you know, many people hear that at Christmas time and think, Thanks God, but I didn't really want a baby in a manger. You know, many people think if God's going to give a gift to the world, then why can't he give something good like... I don't know, why doesn't he give everyone a billion dollars? Or why doesn't he give um, a life free of trouble? Uh, or maybe uh, you might think, uh, why doesn't God uh, give um, perfect health, you know, a body that doesn't deteriorate? Or perhaps preventing disasters and things like that? Uh, you know, you might ask, what good is a baby in a manger when there are real problems in the world that need fixing and real problems in my life that need fixing? And so what I want to do today is think more deeply with you about the gift that God has given. And we'll see that even if it's not the gift you might not be looking for, perhaps it will be the gift that you actually need. And if it is the gift you need, then that means it can be the gift that you actually want. And to do that, we're going to look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 a little bit more closely. Uh, here we have an announcement of God's gift which was made some 700 years before um, Jesus actually came into the world. And we're going to look at three things in this passage about God's gift. We're going to look at uh, why we need the gift, what it actually includes, and how you can receive it. So let's first look at why we need the gift. Uh, you'll see in this passage, the context shows us that the passage it starts in darkness. Uh, the people are in darkness. Uh, there's references there in verse 1 to gloom 
which is a, a dark idea. Uh, anguish, uh, verse 2 talks about being in darkness. And, and the second last line in verse 2, it talks about being in a land of deep darkness. And the reason it begins there is because the people in Isaiah's day were in a very dark situation. Uh, the people in Isaiah's day, uh, you can read about it more in, um, if you go back one chapter, chapter 8. Uh, the people had abandoned the Lord their God, and, uh, which meant that the, the nation was really in the grip of a spiritual and moral darkness. And yet on top of that, they had the Assyrian army about to invade them. You know, coming down from the north, which is where those places are listed in verse 1. And you know, they were about to be wiped out. And so they were, they were facing the prospect of terrible devastation. A devastation I don't, I don't think we today could imagine. Uh, many of them were facing a certain death. And because Israel, as a nation, had rejected the Lord at this time, the Lord who was their, their hope, uh, as a result... Chapter 8 ended by saying, um, let's just have a look at the end of chapter 8. Uh, it said, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the context in which Isaiah 9 comes. Horrible darkness. Something that we can hardly imagine. And, you know, we might hear all this and think, well, that sounds very distant, very unrelated uh, to our situation today. And yet there are some similarities to today, things that we can relate to. I mean, the darkness that Israel faced in Isaiah's day included things like uh, the moral decay that had gripped society. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Uh, you know, they, they face threats of invasion, uh, threats of devastation. Perhaps a little bit, um, seems a little bit more distant for us. But they face certain death. And do you see, all of these things still exist today in the world, and all of these things impact our lives. You know, there's an invasion going on in, in uh, Ukraine, and that impacts us. You know, fuel prices have gone up. There's always an impact. And so you can see how we can sort of relate to these things. And it's because in the world there is this darkness. It's a darkness that, that seems to cast a shadow over every aspect of our lives. Just to give you another example, uh, take Christmas for example. You know, Christmas is a very happy time. Uh, if you've got little kids, it's a, a really exciting time. Lots of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of excitement very early in the morning, uh, which might not be as exciting for parents, but, but it is a great time. There's lots to enjoy at Christmas. And yet even something as great as Christmas cannot escape the darkness. The darkness even reaches and, and grabs onto Christmas so that you have, uh, for example, you know, the lead up to Christmas, you, you go to the shops and there's all these angry and stressed out customers everywhere. Or today, there will be family uh, lunches and dinners going on and many of those lunches and dinners will be ruined because of tensions within families and divisions and those sort of things. Or think about today, Here's a pretty sad thought. There's going to be lots of people out there having lunch all alone. That's a, a pretty gloomy um, situation. Or another sad situation is there's, there's a lot of people who this Christmas will be the first one where there's someone missing at the table. You know, they lost a loved one to death. 
throughout this year. And this Christmas will be hard because it's the first one without a loved one. And look, this is just one tiny aspect of life. This is just one day. And we can see in, just in this one day something that's meant to be happy. Even then, the darkness in this world, it has its clutches on something as wonderful as a Christmas celebration. That's one little aspect. But when you pull back and look at the big picture of life, look at the state of this world, then you start to realise, yes, this world really is in the grip of a darkness. Uh, the, the, you know, verse 2, where it says, those um, who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... That phrase, deep darkness, in the original Hebrew language that Isaiah wrote this book in, it has the idea of a shadow, a shadow of death. It's saying that here's a land that, that is covered by a shadow of death. And that right there is something that we can all relate to. Because that right there is something that we all exist within. We all live under the shadow of death. You know, all of us, the moment we're born, we're already on that path toward the end. And at the end of our lives, it's kind of like, you know, think of a, think of a, a, a running race. And at the end of a running race, there's a finish line with a big banner saying finish. Well, what's on that banner for every single human being? Death. And that banner, it kind of casts its shadow over everything that happens in life. And I think the older that you get, the more you start to feel that sense of frustration of, of life being under the shadow of death so that everything you work for, everything you've accumulated, everything you've loved in life, there's that frustration one day it'll be gone and you can't take it with you. See, that's the darkness in this world. We live in a land of deep darkness. Now, the other thing that Isaiah does do in his book uh, and he has been doing a lot up to this point in chapter 9, is that he points out that not only do we live in, in the land of darkness, not only do we have darkness surrounding us, but there is also a very deep darkness that exists within our own hearts. Okay, Inside all of us, there is this deep darkness. It's what the Bible calls sin. And I'm sure all of you know exactly what I'm talking about because if you're anything like me, you probably know what it's like to be in a stressed-out, angry shopper. Uh, or if you're anything like me, you probably know what it's like to, to be in the grip of impatience or selfishness. So that even you know, in a moment when it's meant to be a good moment, you can ruin it by letting impatience or selfishness uh, take a hold. And you know, when that happens, that's just a little glimpse into what our hearts are really like, the state of our hearts. Uh, now, Isaiah and the whole Bible, for that matter, uh, have um, are very clear that the reason why we live under the shadow of death is because of this deep darkness within our hearts. And it goes right back to the beginning when God created mankind. When, when Adam and Eve were created, God created them to live within this relationship with him as their king. God is the good and wise king, the loving king. Created Adam and Eve to live in relationship with him, and yet what did they do? They said, we don't want to live in relationship with you in that way, God. We want to rule our own lives. We want to be our own kings. They wanted to live independently of God. And as a result, in came the darkness into this world. 
And as a result, the darkness of sin has its clutches on every single aspect of life. Everything that's good is now ruined. Everything that should work is now broken. And eventually we all break. We all end up in the grave. Uh, that's, that's the predicament we're in. Uh, in fact, chapter 8, verse 22, if we get that back up on the screen there, Ethan, that there is really a good uh, description of life as we know it in this fallen world. Okay, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So that's the condition we find ourselves in. Uh, there's, there's no way that we can free ourselves from that. Okay, we can't fix that, the darkness in this world. We can't fix the darkness of our own hearts. And so in many ways, we're kind of like, um, here's an illustration for you. Uh, imagine some people who are trapped in a collapsed mine, deep within the earth, kilometers below the surface. And the lights have gone out. They have no access to equipment. They have no access to communication. They're stuck in there. They can't dig themselves out. They're completely trapped. They don't even know if anyone knows they're down there. That's the situation Isaiah is painting us in as human beings living in this dark world. We're stuck. We can't fix it. We need a rescuer. And that's why, that's why we need the gift that God gives. That's, that's the first point. We need the, this is why we need the gift God gives because of the darkness of the world and the darkness in our own hearts. Now, what is the gift that God gives? Okay, what is the gift? Well, that's what the rest of the passage uh, tells us. So I'll tell you what it is. I'll give you a summary, and then we'll unpack it a bit. The gift that God gives is to set us free from the darkness by giving his only son. Okay, the gift is God sets you free from the darkness through the giving of his own son. So let's just look at that. So look first at verse 2. This is where we're introduced to the idea. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then verses 3 to 5 talk about that light. Uh, it describes it in terms of being set free from oppression. Uh, it uses some words that sound very similar to uh, when God rescued his people from Egypt brought them out through the Red Sea. Uh, it goes on to say that everything that's miserable in the world, everything that's ruined and broken, everything that makes life a pain, all those things are going to be like wrapped up and chucked out. They'll be gone forever. Okay, freed forever. You know, the problems, it's really getting at the idea that the problems of sin, evil, death, those things will one day be defeated and taken away for good. And how does God do that? How does God free us from the darkness? And the answer comes in verse 6. Notice how verse 6 starts with that word for. That's because this verse is giving us the reason God can defeat darkness, the reason he can set us free. How does he do it? Like this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. So here's this announcement of the birth of a king. Okay, we know it's a king because it says the government's on his shoulders. 
This announcement, as I said earlier, it's made 700 years before Jesus actually came. And Isaiah explains how it is that this child is the answer to the darkness in the world. And he does it by telling us two things about the child. He tells us the child's name and he tells us the child's rule, how he will be king. Let's look at those two things. <clears throat> so first, his name. Uh, his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's an incredible name. Uh, in fact, we're probably better off to call them titles. These are four titles to tell us who Jesus is and to tell us about what he's about. So let's look at them. So first, Wonderful Counselor. Do you know what that means? It means someone whose counsel... It says wonderful, but it, that, the idea behind that word is supernatural. When this, when this child will speak, he speaks the very word of God. Okay, wonderful counsellor. Uh, second, he's the mighty God. That, that means he's God who is all-powerful. He's, he's God who comes and defeats all of the enemies in this world. So the enemies of sin, evil, death. He defeats them. See, he's mighty God. Uh, third, he's the everlasting father. And that's a title that emphasizes his never-failing care of his people. He never leaves them or forsakes them. He loves them truly, cares for them in every way. And uh, I realize that that title might be a little bit confusing when we're talking about Jesus because we know Jesus is the son of God. So how can he be the father? Well, it's a title to get across his care of his people. Sometimes we sing a song about Jesus that goes, um, Father-like, he tends and spares us, well, our feeble frame he knows. How does Jesus know our feeble frame? Because he had one. <laughs> See, that's how he can be the everlasting Father. And then, of course, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, that points to his ability to bring peace into the world by taking away everything that ruins the world. And most of all, it tells us that he's the one who reconciles us with the Father, turns enemies into friends with God. And so these titles, it shows us very clearly that when, we talk about, when we're talking about this child born in a manger, we're actually talking about God. This is God coming into the world. These titles tell us very clearly that the child is in fact God in the flesh fully God and fully man. Now, I like to try and imagine what did Isaiah's original readers think when they read this? You know, they're reading about God coming, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. God's going to come. And how's he going to come? He's going to be born. What? How can God be born? Can you imagine how that must have messed with their minds? Now, it is a little bit easier for us because we live after the event. And we've got the whole New Testament to um, kind of unpack it and tell us what it means. And so that we, we know that when, when we read about Jesus born uh, to Mary and, and placed in that manger with shepherds visiting on that first day and then a little later on, wise men coming along and offering him gifts, we know that that child right there, God in the flesh, Okay, this is God come into the world to fix the darkness. This is God's light. The light of the world has come. He's come to bring salvation. 
He's come to set us free from the darkness. Here he is lying in a manger. It's just an incredible thought. God in the flesh. Here's, here's this baby who would grow up to be the Prince of Peace, the one who actually reconciles us to God. Do you see how wonderful these titles are? They tell us who the child is, but they also point to what he will do in making everything right again. And uh, what, what it also tells us, though, it tells us that our predicament in our darkness, you know, the predicament we are in in sin and in death, that predicament is so bad that God himself has to step into history to fix it. Okay, we should never think, oh, we'll just tidy our lives up and then it'll, it'll all be well. Or, we, you know, we'll put these things into place and we'll make the world a better place. We can't do it. It's so ruined by sin and death, the only answer is if God himself steps into history and fixes it himself, that's what he has done in the coming of Jesus. See, he is the mighty God who conquers his enemies. He's the one who comes and defeats sin, defeats death. Uh, and, and he does it by how? By being born, growing up, living the life we should have lived but can't. And going to the cross, dying the death that we should have died to pay for our sin, Jesus comes and does it for us. And to prove that he had defeated sin and death, he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He now reigns as the king. And he'll one day come again. And then everything will be made right again. Forever. It'll be forever made right. That's why uh, the other thing Isaiah tells us about Jesus is in verse 7. Uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Do you, see, do you see what that's saying about Jesus? When he comes again, all of the things in the world that make it dark, you know, the sin in our hearts, the, the evil in the world, the, the death that ruins everything and robs us of everything, all of that one day gone forever. It will truly be the kingdom of light when Jesus comes again and it will last forever. And that's why this gift is so incredible. This gift that God would give his only son. This gift of actually freeing us from the darkness to be able to live forever with him. This is an incredible gift. And what is our assurance that that all of this will happen? The last line in the passage says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, God has absolutely committed himself to making sure all of this comes about. That's the gift that God gives. And so finally, how do you receive it? Or to put it another way, how do you share in what Jesus has achieved? How do you make sure that what Jesus has come to do becomes yours personally so that you can look forward to that day of seeing him face to face and living forever in that kingdom of light? How can you be sure that that's yours? How do you receive the gift? And the answer to that is, uh, it might sound pretty obvious when I say it, but I want us to think it through it a bit more. The way to make sure you share in what Jesus has done 
is to receive him as a gift. Receive Jesus as a gift. That's what verse 6 says. To us the Son is given, which means that Jesus himself is the gift. You've got to receive him. You have to receive him personally. And I know that sounds pretty simple, but think about what a gift is. What is a gift? A gift is something that you don't work for. A gift is something that you don't earn. It's not something that you uh, contribute to. You know, it's not like the wage that you get in your workplace, uh, fortnightly or weekly or whatever. You know, when you receive your wage, you don't race up to your boss, give them a big hug and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, oh, this is so wonderful. You don't do that because you worked hard for that money. And so it's yours by right. Okay, but a gift isn't like that. Or what about um, when your children open their presents this morning? Um, or your grandchildren open the presents? Did any of them go, come up to you and go, oh, thanks, Mum, thanks, Dad, thanks, Grandpa, thanks, Grandma, but what do I now owe you? Okay, no one, none of them did that. Because it's a gift. If you've got to pay for it, it's no longer a gift. The very nature of a gift is that it is unearned. And the reason I make a big deal about this is because most people think that when it comes to overcoming the darkness of our heart, when it comes to getting right with God, when it comes to making sure that we get to live forever in heaven, most people approach it as if it's something you have to work for, you know, something you have to earn. Uh, most people think about it like this. So long as I do enough good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff, then God will let me in. But do you realise that everything Isaiah says about what Jesus came to do, about how to actually be free of the darkness, how to live forever in heaven, everything Isaiah says here, it has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do what, with what Jesus does. Jesus does it for us and then he gives it to us as a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to spend your lives trying to pay it off. You just have to receive it with open hands. There's a song that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That's the only way you can receive this gift. Or another way to think about it, you know, think about those people trapped in the mine, kilometres below the surface, no light, no way of getting out. See, they can't earn their way out. They can't dig their way out. They can't buy their way out. There's nothing they can do, nothing they can tr contribute. If they're going to get free, it's only if someone from above comes down and rescues them. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's come down to rescue us. We were lost. We were helpless. We were in the dark. He's the light that shines into your life to set you free. And so the way to receive him is simply by trusting that he has done that for you. Uh, another way to think about faith in Jesus is to think about it like, uh, you know, instead of hanging on to independence from God, like Adam and Eve did, let that go. Okay, let go of independence from God and with open hands, take hold of Jesus. Take him as your king and your saviour. 
And what's the evidence that you have received Jesus? How do you know if you have received Jesus? You say this, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that becomes the whole drive to your life. You spend the rest of your life wanting to show Jesus how thankful you are for all that he has done. So it turns out that the child in the manger might not look like much of a gift from a distance, but when you get up close and have a good look and see who this king is and see what he has actually come to do, you realise there could be no greater gift for God to give. This is the most amazing gift ever. No one could dream this up. This comes from above. He really is the greatest gift to the undeserving, which is all of us. Okay, Jesus, he's this gift of grace. So the big question today is, have you received him? Have you received him?